This is Donna Skoglund, and you are listening to the Pleasure Project Podcast, episode 134. Tonight, I am leading a workshop, a free workshop on the art of self-care. And this is my one of my signature talks about the daily routines of Ayurveda, also known as Dina Charya. And it really walks you through the Ayurvedic clock and how to align your day with the rhythms of nature. And I love this talk because it's really all about understanding how nature affects us and how there's different energies that predominate different times of the day. And when we align to those different energies, we are in the flow of nature and our bodies respond really well to that. So our bodies heal, our bodies work optimally, we feel better, we have more energy, we have a stronger immune system, we have less stress. And it's all great information, but I think at the heart of it, the biggest challenge is not knowing what to do. Although I think that is part of it. And that's why I love the workshop, because the workshop is really all about, okay, here's what to do. Here is the step-by-step daily routine. If you follow this routine, you will feel better. That is a fact. But I think that the challenge is prioritizing ourselves and prioritizing self-care. And most of us understand intellectually the importance of prioritizing self-care, but we still struggle to do it. And most of us have heard the adage that says, you know, can't pour from an empty cup and self-care isn't selfish. And we want to follow the oxygen mask principle, which is put your own mask on before helping others. So why is it so hard? Why do we struggle to get to bed on time, to make time to plan and prepare meals, to exercise? And when we don't, we often self-sacrifice at the expense of our health. We end up burning ourselves out. We end up doing things like work or maybe taking care of other people instead of taking care of ourselves, and then we don't feel good about those choices. And we also don't feel good physically. We have less energy. We maybe struggle with health issues, discomfort, inflammation, aches and pains. And when you don't feel good physically, it's harder to feel good mentally. There's a feedback loop that goes from our body to our brain and our brain to our body. And what happens is when your body is not feeling good, when there's discomfort or pain or even physical exhaustion, our brain starts to interpret that as something is wrong. And we will often have challenging thoughts and emotions that are a response to our body not feeling good. I experienced this a few days ago when I was on my trip. I pulled a really heavy suitcase out of the car and I pulled so many muscles around my core. It was almost like circumferentially my lower back, my the front of my core, everything. I just knew in that moment, oh no, I just pulled a muscle. This is not good. And then for a few days afterwards, I was in a lot of pain. I missed two nights of sleep because I was in so much pain I couldn't sleep. And that was after taking Tylenol, ibuprofen, and it nothing worked. And I noticed that 
it was just so hard to feel good mentally because I was all, I was so consumed by the pain and it was exhausting me. The physical pain was mentally exhausting me. I just didn't feel like I had the capacity and I was supposed to record this podcast yesterday and I just couldn't. I just didn't have the ability. I did the bare minimum. I had my coaching calls, but that was it. So our body and mind are connected. And starting with the body is, I think, a really important place to start because it's really hard to manage our minds and master our mindset and do all this cognitive stuff, which takes a lot of energy when our bodies aren't feeling good. So why do we struggle? Why is it so hard for us to prioritize the things we know will help us feel our best? So I've uncovered, I know there's a lot more than this, but here's four big reasons that I've seen when I have been helping my clients make changes and the challenge that challenges that they come up against. So number one is whenever we make changes to our routine and it affects other people, this can be a big obstacle. We are pack animals. We value connection. Whether that's actual connection with a human being like our partner or friends or family members, or even whether it's digital connection, like through social media, scrolling on our phone. So whenever we decide, okay, I want to get to bed earlier, but that means I'm going to have to give up some of that, there's resistance and it's challenging. And this also goes with people-pleasing. I coached someone today who has not been planning and preparing her meals like she had intended to do. And instead, she found herself committing to helping family members out and becoming so busy with other people's needs that she just, again, didn't have the capacity for her own. And I know when I talk to wives or husbands that have partners that stay up late, and I talked about this in the podcast a few weeks ago, that can be challenging because when we disrupt the connection, even if it isn't that big of a deal in our minds, it can feel like a big deal. It's it's hard. It's hard for us to disrupt connection with others, whether that is real or virtual or even just in our heads. The second challenge is Patriarchal conditioning. As a woman, specifically, we are socialized to put everyone's needs before ours. That on top of our propensity to just be natural caregivers in our, as our DNA, in our DNA. So we have a genuine desire to nurture our loved ones, to take care of the people we care about. But it often comes at the expense of taking care of ourselves. And the reason for that is when we think about taking care of ourselves, taking time away from taking care of other people, then guilt comes up. And I was coaching someone on this today where she was asked to help her sister out. And the guilt was so strong, she ended up reacting to that guilt, saying yes, and then not doing what she wanted to do. So it can be really hard to put ourselves first as a woman because 
culture has been telling us from the beginning, from a young age, that our job is to be there for everyone else and to put everyone else's needs first. But when we do that, we do not have the capacity to give to others. We cannot pour from an empty cup. So understanding that we are conditioned to think this way, but it's not serving us, it's not actually serving anyone, we can start to shift that perspective. And I was coaching my client into into how she can change this perspective and how she can start to see how putting herself first is in service of her loved ones. It is in service of the higher, greater good for everyone, not just herself, because we feel selfish when we put ourselves first. The third thing is we are also in a culture that values productivity and accomplishment. And our worth is often measured by our work. And we also do get pleasure from taking things off the to-do list. We do get a hit of dopamine when we can cross something off. But the problem is the list is never ending. There will never be a time that we will get ahead of it. Although that is the hope, right? If I just do a little bit more, somehow I can get ahead of it, but that just doesn't happen. And if we do get ahead of it, oh, we just have more things to put on there. So it never becomes any smaller. At some point, we have to decide when it's enough, when it's time to stop working, when it's time to go to bed, when it's time to have an off day. And we all get to decide that for ourselves. But this not doing enough, which was a big one for me for a long time and still shows up, I'm not doing enough, I should be doing more, that constantly, that constant narrative drives us to stay busy and to put work first or productivity first or even housework before our own rest, recovery, nourishment, all the things that we need to take care of ourselves. And then finally, I think the other big challenge is the pleasure of health and the things that are supportive to our well-being is not as intense as the pleasure of hedonistic behaviors. For example, doing some foam rolling at the end of the day, I find that extremely pleasurable, but it might not be as pleasurable to some people as scrolling on their phone. Or doing a meditation might not be as intensely pleasurable as watching a TV show. So a behavior is reinforced when it is rewarded. So the bigger the reward is, in this case, we get the reward of dopamine, we get that feeling of pleasure and reward, then it gets our brain says, okay, we need to keep doing that. We need to prioritize that because the reward is bigger. And we are hardwired as humans to seek instant gratification. What is going to feel the best right now in this moment? And we have this inability to connect with the bigger picture when we want just to feel good in the moment. So turning off the phone or turning off the TV at the end of the day is hard because we're not really thinking ahead of like, okay, 
if I think about how I'll feel tomorrow morning when I want to get up and I want to exercise, or if I think about the bigger picture of going to bed early, if I build this habit in, how will that affect me a month from now, a year from now? And that's a big key in changing. It's actually taking a moment to see the bigger picture and to jump ahead to your future and see how your choices in this moment are will affect you in the future. And that can help you make the better choice, make the healthier choice, the more supportive choice in the moment. But just understanding that we are up against our innate desire to feel good in the moment. And that is fighting against our higher mind's desire to be healthy and make life-supporting choices. So how can we change this? The number one thing, the number one way to make any change in your life and the most effective way, the way that is actually lasting and permanent is to change who you are, to become someone different. And I've mentioned in previous episodes that I have been doing this with alcohol. And I just got back from a trip, a family trip. And it was the very first vacation I've ever been on where I didn't drink any alcohol. And honestly, I was a little surprised. At one point, my sister-in-law poured me a glass of wine because I thought, okay, maybe I'll just have a glass of wine. I took one sip and it was the my reaction was almost repulsion. I didn't want it. And I I didn't have it. I gave it to someone else. And I really, it's just been really interesting to witness my own transformation and how I have changed my thinking. I've literally changed my identity, my relationship to alcohol, how I see alcohol, how I feel about alcohol, how I, the way that I see that alcohol fits into my life. And That is what you need to do with any change that you want to make. You have to think like the person who has made the change. So now I am thinking more like someone who doesn't drink than I did when I was drinking. And because I'm thinking differently, my behaviors reflect that. So I'm not drinking. So when it comes to self-care, when it comes to taking time to get enough sleep, to prepare and plan healthy meals, to exercise, to meditate, whatever it is that you feel would really help you, who is the version of you that has so much self-love, self-respect, self-compassion that they would make that choice? You have to start thinking that way. Change how you see yourself, someone who is deserving of feeling their best, who is prioritizes exercise and all of these self-care habits. Someone that is disciplined, someone that is committed to their health, that puts it first. So that is the biggest thing. And this is what I teach in the Pleasure Project program and what I do with my one-on-one clients. And one of the ways that you can change your identity is by changing the reinforcement in your environment. That includes the people in your environment. This is why 
joining a community of people that have the behavior that you want to have or that are working towards the behavior you want to have is so helpful because it normalizes that behavior and you don't feel like the outcast because often we are doing things that are similar to the people in our environment. So when we start to change our behaviors, we can feel separated. We can, again, it gets in the way of that feeling of connection. We are doing different things than everyone around us. So it doesn't, it's not comfortable. So putting yourself in communities around people where it's just the normal behavior, it's just what everyone does. The other thing is input. What are you listening to? Listening to books or podcasts or meditations that reinforce where you want to go, what you want to do, who you want to be, what you're reading, what you're watching, what you're exposing yourself to, because everything that you are exposing yourself to in terms of your input is affecting how you're thinking and what you're believing. So you want to feed your brain thoughts and beliefs that move you in the direction of your future self. And then also places and things, things in your actual environment. So for example, if you wanted to be someone that exercises, you would put exercise things around you, your running shoes at the foot of your bed, maybe your foam roller by your bed. My foam roller is right by my bed so that right before bed, I see it. It's that visual trigger, that reminder that, oh yes, that would feel really good. That would be a really good thing to do right before bed. Um, You can put reminders on your phone. There's lots of ways that you can use your environment to prompt behaviors and to remind you, especially if it's something new, that we often just forget to do it. And this kind of also goes along with creating some sort of accountability and supportive system and the structure that allows you to stay on track. We need that. We need that when we're making changes. And this is why a community of like-minded people is really helpful for that aspect. And then I would also say that you would just want to start small. When I make, when I, as I'm making this change with alcohol, I was not in a rush. And I think often we're in a rush to change because we have some overly optimistic ideas of how all of our problems will go away when we make the change, which is not true. We always have problems. It's just new problems, different problems. So don't be in a rush. If you really think about, okay, I want to actually change this for good, for real, and change it from the identity level, then it's really about your mindset. And you can make changes really small changes and not be in any rush. Allow it to be a slow process. And when you think about the small change you want to make, so maybe, you know, when I was solely focusing on coaching people and improving their habits, I would tell them to start with seven minutes of exercise every morning instead of, you know, going to the gym for an hour or a one minute meditation or going to bed 15 minutes earlier. We often and I often would have to hold my clients back and slow them down because they want to make these drastic, huge, massive changes all at once. And it's just not sustainable. So to recap, how to start to prioritize self-care, number one, you've got to be 
the kind of person who does this. You've got to change your identity and literally become someone different. And you can do that by changing your environmental reinforcement, the people you surround yourself with, the things that you expose yourself to, the the places and things, environmental cues, reminders. And also, it's like a slow process of selling yourself on why this is important, why you want this change, how it will benefit you, the positive results that will come and continue to do this consistently. Again, most of the change at this point is happening in your brain first, in your mind, what you're focusing on, what you're thinking about, what you're taking in. And then you can start with small changes. What's the smallest, tiniest change that feels doable, so easy, you can't say no. And combining those two things, you will make the change. And when you do, it is so worth it. I am so grateful to my past self for establishing rock solid self-care habits. I mean, my self-care habits are so dialed in. I know I always talk about it and I brag about it because I'm really proud that I have these things in my life because there's nothing better than feeling good in your body every single day reliably and knowing exactly what to do to create that. And I said in the beginning, often the challenge isn't knowing what to do, but sometimes it is. And I don't know that I knew what I know now before I had self-care. I didn't actually know what it looked like to take care of myself. So if that's you, if you're like, I don't even know what it would look like. And I've had clients before. I remember one specifically who would always ask me, like, how how does one relax without wine? Like, she she just didn't even know. So it's really hard to change when you don't even know an alternative to what you're doing. So if that's you, again, you can go to the Feel Good Formula podcast episode that I did early on in the podcast where I walk you through my routine. And this is these are the habits that I teach in the Pleasure Project program, which are really just foundational self-care habits based on the Ayurvedic daily routine. But when you have these in place, you don't have pain in your body. You don't have inflammation. You have really good sleep every night and you can wake up feeling rejuvenated and energized. You have more time. I swear self-care habits have probably given me at least two to three hours back every single day. I have sustained energy to show up to work at the highest level, unless I just pulled my core muscles like I did a few days ago and then I didn't. But that was, that doesn't happen often. It's very rare that I don't feel my best. I can't remember the last time I got sick. Immune system gets stronger. You feel great in your skin, in your clothes. It feels good to be strong and fit and active. So this is what happens when you prioritize self-care. And it really is foundational to every other part of your life because if you don't have energy, if you're not sleeping well, if you're in physical discomfort, it is so hard to focus on anything else. So if you're in Kelowna and you're hearing this in real time, you can go to my Instagram, join me at that free talk. It's a talk I do often, so stay tuned. I'll be doing it again. And 
If you're not following me on Instagram, make sure you do because I will post whether it's in-person things that I'm doing or virtual workshops, webinars, masterclasses. That is the, the best place to find out what I'm doing every single week. I hope this was helpful. If you know someone who needs to hear this, who really could benefit from prioritizing self-care, send this to them. And if you like the podcast, I would so appreciate if you could rate and review so that more people can find this important information to become the healthiest, happiest versions of themselves. And if you have questions or if you want to work with me, reach out and I'd love to talk to you. All right. Talk to you soon.